Blog Talk Radio. This is all about it's wine. All about wine. For the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Ron. Basically what we're trying to do in this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash all about wine DTR. That's www.facebook.com forward slash all about wine DTR. And now, all about wine is on. Here's all right thank you best people thank you thank you double champagne out there with them they're getting filling the spirits and all that since we're getting toward the new year our last show of 2021 so they're filling the spirits every time they start cheering there uh there you go all right uh Every time they start cheering there, I always picture Kermit uh, whenever they did the Muppets and how he used to always, you know, cheer. So Mike's under the weather. Uh, He's with us, but he's under the weather. So he'll he'll muddle through. And if you're hearing cough and wheeze and... I'm going to mute the microphone. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, he'll he'll hit a mute button there. But if you happen to catch it, then... It's because he's not. He's got a flu bug, and uh, he said the flu's back yeah. this year. And I think Mike is the, one of the first ones to get it. Yeah, so, but yay, woo-hoo. yay, yeah, he, yeah, a first. So, so uh, uh, he'll he'll be m- making his comments because this is an year year in show, and last one is 2021. 2021. You realize next year, what is it? February, we we started on, no, on February, March. Okay, but that was March. Uh, March fifth, I think. March, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Thirteen years it'll be come March. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Oh. So, but well, we'll be getting close to that soon. Twenty twenty one. I was just thinking, what what we got? You know, reminisce about what happened in twenty twenty one. We had a lot of good shows. We had a lot of good guests. We talked about wine. We talked about books coming out from different guests. We've talked about uh, wine storage and wine deals and wine, all sorts of things. It, it's just a year full of wine and some other stuff too. We talked about the weather and we talked about golf and you know, and sports and we talked about uh um uh, ghosts and odd and end things all throughout the year also like we always do. But basically we always circle around and go back to wine and have wine as the basis. Hence hence the name of the show all about wine. So we are uh here that was my reminiscing about the past year. These reminisce shows that they do, and they show the highlights of it. If you want to see the highlights or hear the highlights of the past year, go back to archives. Everything is there. You can listen to any show on archives and listen to the highlights and the, the good shows there. So, uh, so that tonight uh, we got a few things to talk about. Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about champagnes and sparkling wines and stuff since it is right for new year's and it's when most people give out uh get out the sparklies although i have preached over and over and over again sparkling wines are not just for the holidays or a special occasion you can enjoy them just about any time they are inexpensive enough to join them anytime i'm going to talk a little bit about those in a little bit here but first Last, what was it, Sunday? Yeah, I guess it's the last Sunday after football, 60 Minutes had a segment on talking about the climate change in Europe and how it's affecting grapevines and everything in Europe. Mike actually sent me an email. What was it? An email, I guess. And 
said, are you watching 60 Minutes? And I was, and I uh, didn't see his text after the show, but they had Greg Jones on there, and Greg Jones has been a guest with us in the past. I really enjoyed him being a guest, too. He's a very intelligent man, and just great stuff to talk about. We talked about a little bit about climate and stuff like that when he was on the show. Oh, geez, uh, the first time, I think, back in 15, uh, 2015. So when we uh, when he was on then, we talked about the climate and how the climate is uh, affects the different areas. And he he talked about microclimates and stuff. Then he was on again, and we again talked about how the weather affects the grapevines. Well, he was a guest, or a, I guess a guest, on that segment on 60 Minutes talking about how the climate is changing. And they actually, I don't know if you saw the show. If you haven't, I guess, I don't know. Can you pull that up on YouTube? I, I don't know how that works. Uh, if, you sure, uh, seen if, you, if you go to uh, cbs.com, uh, I forgot the forward slash, but you can search for it. Uh, they do have, I believe it was a 24-minute clip uh, oh, that you can good. view. Um, whether or not it's, you know, you have to sign in or pay whatever now with all the stupid TV going subscription only. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if you to be a member or what, but uh, they did have a, a long clip and, and had that going. But, uh, yeah, YouTube might work as well. Just uh, do a search for it. But, yeah. Oh, it's worth good. A watch, okay. Definitely. Yeah, it is. It is worth a watch. It, they talk about, in fact, they actually talked to some champagne uh, makers over there. They talk to different vineyardists and a, a lot of different people. One thing struck out to me was a champagne maker said that last year she made, what, 50,000 bottles of wine. This year she did zero. I I never caught the full reason, but I, I think one of the reasons uh, uh, among many in her area, they had a late frost, which... I might have mentioned something about the late frost in the Champagne area on the show. I'm not sure if I did or not, but they had a late frost, and they also had some weather issues through the summer, and they had hail hit in some areas and all that that destroyed a lot of vineyards. So she just may have been the the unlucky one who lost most of her crop to weather conditions, and so... That was one of the one of the things that struck out my mind. She had zero crop this year, which kills you if you're from season to season. That kills you. Most of these places, though, have inventory, and they can rely on inventory to keep income in. But it's a tough situation. They're saying that it's moving north. England is now becoming a premium winemaking region. Can you imagine England as a premium winemaking region? But the show said it is. It's it's becoming that, as is other northern climates. And they ask uh, one person who was in England uh, about it, and he said, you know, it's great, it's wonderful, it's getting warm now, and we can have longer growing days and stuff, and it's, it's really fantastic. And the viewer said, what if it continues to get warm? And he says, well, we'll face that when it happens. And so just like everything in France and Germany and Spain and Portugal, I, it is getting warmer and it's moving north. The, uh, Greg said that the grow band around the world, if you look on maps, you can pretty much go on two circles around the world, one in the northern hemisphere and one in the southern hemisphere. And in those two circles where all the grapevines grow, where, all the, uh, where you can get the majority of your grapevines, of course there's some out of that north or south, but most of them come in that section. I used to know the, the longitude, but I can't remember. Oh, geez. I think it's... I don't know. I can't remember. I don't want to. I don't want to say because I'll be off. But uh, certain latitude north and south that all the grapevines grow, and those are moving north and south respectively because of the warming 
it is causing the growing areas of earth for grapevines to go north to cooler climates and south to cooler climates. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. We've talked about it quite a bit on the show about climate change, and I brought up the horrible conditions that some of the things, some of these vineyards have gone through and what they've had to face and all that, and it's just terrible. But it's affecting livelihood of a lot of people, and it's not going to get better, I'm afraid. It's going to get worse. Uh, A lot of the migrant workers are leaving the area and moving north and all that because of that. So we'll see. Obviously, we'll stay on top of it and see what's what's happening and what's going on. So uh, let me see. I've got some other stuff here, a bunch of different odds and stories to talk to you about that I have found. Uh, the site 750 Daily, it's spelled out 7-F-E-V-E-N, 50-F-I-F-T-Y, Daily. Uh, great site. It's a lot of information on there. If you're interested, you can always go to it, 750daily.com. It uh, has stories about wines and spirits and beers and and all that stuff, you know, all the alcohol stuff. And it was uh, comes out every week. I get a lot of information from it. This story, this article, is the top wine stories of 2021. This is from 750 Daily. Uh, So, not, I thought it was going to be long and talk about all these different things, and actually it isn't. Really pretty short. But I'm not going to read you the whole article. Uh, I'm just going to tell you. The first one they're saying, now these are the, Top five wine stories of 2021, according to 750 Daily. Uh, and then, in fact, they 750 Daily just launched a new sustainability section this year, which is talking about organic winemaking and all, uh, you know, carbon capture and all that other stuff. So that's a new thing that the new feature that just came out this year. That's not part of the top five. I think it might be, though, if we get down there further in this list. But first one, why sommeliers are more essential than ever. Oh, yeah, after the big, big thing, are sommeliers really that essential? I don't know. Well, this article says uh, they're experienced hospitality work on the floor. They're also uh, help maximize profits for businesses and restaurants are simply not equipped to operate at 25 or 50 percent capacity so the sommeliers tend to get more money out of the customers and boost the sales in different places that has not been they said that's one of the big things now is how sommeliers have stepped up to become essential in businesses Number four on their list, why organic winemaking can be more profitable than conventional. And and they don't go into enough detail, I don't think, on this. I'm not going to – it's only two paragraphs, but it says, better materials, vineyard longevity, higher quality, and increasing consumer demand are creating a better bottom line for organic. Yeah, but – it's hard to get organic. I just told you last week about how tough it is to get certified in the United States. The organic label in the United States is really a lot harder to get than it is in Europe or Australia or other places. So uh, the organic label, though, can be profitable if you can get it certified, but you, a lot of farmers in the United States just don't. They would rather put a little spray on their yard and vineyard and kill the bugs than they would, okay, I'm dedicated to organic and I'm not going to do anything, and their vineyards get ate up by bugs. It's not going to happen. So they they spray and become not organic. And uh, But organic is, people look for organic, organic and biodynamic and all this. These are phrases and catchwords, uh, or uh, what's it, or... Uh, sustainable and, and uh, all this stuff. So it's uh, becoming a popper thing. Number three, 
beyond high-profile scandals, wine fraud is rampant. Now, this is something that I have hit on about this, the wine fraud out there, but this article is, is how the pandemic fueled increase in online sales and decrease in vetting has led to more counterfeit bottles. And it's true. It's It's become just really scary out there how counterfeit has really jumped up because of the pandemic. You're having them sent to you. You don't have confirmation if it's really what it is. Uh, Rudy Carnawan, uh, the first person to be arrested for counterfeiting wine, was released from federal prison on November the 6th of 2020 after serving seven years. And uh, he sold millions of bottles of, uh, millions of dollars of fake bottles between 2004 and, and 2012, but most of those through auction houses, which, you know, makes you step back and think, whoa. Uh, hiding behind the high-profile players uh, the German wine trader who peddled the fraudulent Jefferson bottles of the 18th century Lafitte collectors. Uh, recent reports across the globe demonstrate that fraud is more pervasive in the industry than people realize. Uh, many players exist on a small scale. They aren't always trading in unicorn bottles or those rare, hard-to-find bottles. There's a lot of it's just little small businesses and fraud that can reap uh, thousands, if not millions of dollars. From Pinfos to Jacobs Creek, even a counterfeit whiskey ring recently uncovered in Rojo, fake bottles are produced and being sold around the world. And with the pandemic-fueled uptick on online sales of fine wine, combined with less than ability to enact preventative measures, a growing number of fraudulent bottles are circulating undetected. And uh, so, uh, you know, that's a big story. That's a big story this year, a big story last year. It'll be a big story every year. There is no way to know how many fraudulent bottles are out there. They are doing new things. They're putting little microchips under the label. And if you can't pick it up with a scan, then it's either the label's been removed or the microchip's been removed to certify it's a true bottle. Also, underneath the capsule or in the cork, embedded in the cork, all sorts of ways they're trying to do things to prevent wine fraud because it is so rampant that the extra cost that it takes to show that it isn't a counterfeit bottle is... Well, really, well worth the expense. So, uh, counterfeit. I, I'm going to have to dig into that sometime this new year and, and check more into that because it's just a fascinating thing that they're making that much money off of it. It really uh, astonishes and scares me. Number two, carbon captured during fermentation could make wine a negative emission industry. Wow. We're looking at trying to get as much of a negative CO2 emissions as we can. They're saying that if they can capture CO2 during vinification, it could create a negative emissions on winemaking. But the fires that come out, okay, last year the fire in Napa Valley in April, Burgundy and all of France endured a catastrophic frost, and that's what I just mentioned earlier, and uh, they just, you know, France declared a natural agricultural disaster because of it. Um, they've recognized that uh, the climate is changing, and so they're trying to do what they can within the business to reduce the impact, and they said within the last four years, they've studied a perspective of sustainability and greenhouse emissions. And one small transparent piece of this puzzle particularly captured the attention is carbon dioxide emitted yeast during formation. Though vinification doesn't produce large volumes of CO2, it does produce some. And so they are finding a way to sequester that during fermentation 
and make a wine with a negative emission CO2. So that could be a good thing. It's not a big, you know, yes, the CO2 during emission. I mean, if you've ever made wine yourself, you know that you just take the balloon and put it over the bottle, and as the balloon fills up, then, you know, it's fermenting. And you can see how much, yeah, that multiply that times wine use and everything, and I, I suppose it would amount, not as much, I would guess, as burning down two football fields worth of the rainforest every hour or every minute or every second or whatever it is, but it is something. So if you can turn it around and uh, fix it, then that's all the better. And then number one, they said new research about wine headaches. What does it mean for natural wine? Number one, this caught my eye here. This, I, I don't remember reading too much about this throughout the year. It says, recent research has identified a link between lower sulfur dioxide usage and higher levels of headache-inducing biogenic amines. Could it mean the end for no SO2 added wines? That, <laughs> that really, I went, what? That's amazing because everybody's always blaming SO2 on their headaches. And now they're finding a definite link between low SO2 usage and more headaches. Take that, people who blame SO2. Let me read you this paragraph. It says, over the past decade, sulfites have become the most vilified, controversial, and misunderstood compounds in the wine world. They've been blamed for everything from headaches to congestion and subsequently avoided by consumers who have latched onto the association. Though most industry members understand that sulfites don't cause headaches, the debate around sulfur dioxide, or SO2, and its positive and negative effects on wine continues. And foregoing the addition of SO2 is commonplace for many natural winemakers. And it is. It's becoming more and more. In fact, in the United States, you know, if you, it's a natural byproduct of fermentation. I keep saying this over and over again. You're going to get SO2. You can't avoid it. Uh, it's, you know, it's usually like less than 10 parts per million naturally, which is insignificant. But... I suppose if you're really allergic to it, that will make a difference. Uh, that's why Sophie Parker Thompson, uh, Master of Wine's recent Institute of Master of Wine Research paper, called such a buzz. In it, she showed that biogenetic amines, or BAs, the compounds that are more likely to be the actual culprit behind wine headaches, are higher in wines with no SO2 added before fermentation. Could this change the way that natural winemakers and the wine community as a whole view SO2 usage? Interesting. Very, very interesting. And uh, it's, uh, I'll have to read more on that and find out what more it says. It, the article continues, but it's very long. But this is what 750 Daily says are the top five stories from 2021. I'm sure everybody has their own. My top five, one of my top five was I drank a very, very good bottle of wine this past year out of Australia, and I loved it. And it means absolutely nothing for you, but it meant everything for me because it was wonderful. So make up your own top five list. As you know, I, you may not know, but I've said it many times. I get the San Francisco Chronicle, and that's one of the papers. I subscribe to the uh, Tampa Bay Times, which is local, but then I also subscribe to the San Francisco Chronicle because they always have articles on wine and stuff, and it's always fun to read what they call local news there about wines, wineries, and different things. San Francisco's being noted for tacos. I didn't know that. Did you know that? They're, they're really being noted for uh, burritos. I'm sorry, I said tacos. Burritos. It's become a thing in San Francisco, burritos. I never was when I lived around there, but still. Uh, but this is out of the 
Chronicle uh, back in uh, October? No, November. This talks about the, well, maybe I told you about this, the top wineries in Sonoma County. Uh, this is a list of the top wineries in Sonoma County. Uh, according to the San Francisco Chronicle and the wine writers and everything, uh, but this is, uh, it lists 16. What I would try to do is put this on all about wine page. I think I will be able to do that. If I can't, I'll have engineer do it for me because sometimes I have problems with getting these things to do what I want to do. I can't always find the icon that will switch it. But Abbott's Passage Winery, Artur Wines, Bedrock Wine Company, The Drink, Flowers Vineyard, uh, Gunlatch uh, Bunshu Winery, which is very, very popular. Idlewild Wines, Iron Horse Vineyards, is, uh, you probably know that, Joseph Swan, Medlock Ames, Porter Creek Vineyards, Preston Farm and Winery, Rams Gate Winery, Reeve Wines, Rhyme, R-Y-M-E, Rhyme Cellars, and Unti Vineyard, U-N-T-I. Uh, 16 of the wines that were chosen to be the best in Sonoma. Warning, though, if you go to these places, Sonoma charges for their tastings, as does a lot of places. Napa does. I pulled, um, Monterey. Um, uh, <laughs> no, I got a blank. I think I Punta Gorda, and that's in Florida. That's not in California. Paso Ropos. Paso Ropos charges, as does the Finger Lakes area, a lot in the Finger Lakes area charge. And areas where they just get swamped with tourists, they have to charge because if they don't, they're going to poor and not make the money off of it, so they have to charge to, uh, for tastings. Well, let me, these fees on these wineries in Sonoma run from $40, there's $50, there's a $50 for that one, 30 25 55 40 uh, 35 30 20 that's cheap, 25 30 and 35, 50, 45, 25, and 25. These are the costs for tasting. So if you go to Sonoma Valley or Napa or any other places, be sure you have money for tastings. Sometimes, and I don't know if they all do it, a lot of them do, once you do a tasting and you spend your fifty dollars, excuse me. Once you spend your fifty dollars or whatever, a lot of that or some of that or a percentage of that goes toward the purchase of whatever you're purchasing. Sometimes all of it does, and sometimes they'll say like you know you, the tasting is only like ten dollars and you get the rest of it off on a purchase. So always check on that, too, so that's worth it. But I would see if I can't get this on our All About Wine page. And uh, you all can check it out yourself. And, and there's also a couple of others here that I'm going to see if I can't get on there. This, this particular one is the top 25 wineries to visit in the San Francisco Bay Area. And so that is also a good source if you're going to be out in that area. And let's see, there was another one here that I was going to post. But if I see anything, I will post them all for your approval. Or <laughs> not for your approval, for you to get a chance to thumb through it and see what you can find on it. Or if you're going to go out there, just to look at it and enjoy reading about it. It's always fun to 
Okay, let's get back up here to the top and let's get out of this. And let's go to the next article that I saved. This one is uh, Wine and National Hockey League mogul Bill Foley by Sonoma's Chateau St. Jean. Whoa! With plans to restore its former glory. Now, most people are familiar with Chateau St. Jean. It's been around for a long time. You see it on the shelves. It's, It's always there. This is from December the 13th, so, you know, Dateline. I mean, this is a couple of weeks ago, about three weeks ago now. But um, this is uh, the uh, landmark winery. Actually, Chateau St. Jean is is a landmark winery. It's been around for quite some time, and it's really established quite a good name for itself. It's a a beautiful big building, Uh, just an enormous uh, castle-like and patio for tasting and stuff, and it's just a lovely place, lovely, lovely, lovely place. I, I just love it. The uh, uh, hockey mogul, <laughs> he owns. Uh, let's see. I'm let me find out what team he owns here. I'm sure he purchased it in 2020. And it was on what team does he own? Well, whatever. The Chateau Saint Jean was hit very hard with the fires. Uh twenty seventeen uh fires went through there and did some major damage on the whole area. Uh and so he uh bought it to his former glory is what he's saying. That's that's a really reason. Uh, it's, it was built in 1920s and includes a 6,000 square foot visitor center, a 39,000 square foot wine production facility, and 79 acres of grapevines. Uh, so it's pretty big for Sonoma. Sonoma doesn't have a whole lot of real large places like that. Most of them are a little bit smaller. Uh, and uh, the uh, winemaker Richard Arrow was going to be staying on, but it did suffer damage during the 2017 fires, and so they've been trying to do some restoration and try to return it back to, you know, like he said, his former glory. But uh, he's going to move winemaking back to Kenwood. The Mobley, uh, Foley, Mobley, where did I get Mobley? Foley, uh, here we go. Uh, Foley controls a number of notable wine breeds. He owns 25 wineries in the United States and New Zealand. And he also is the owner of the Vegas Golden Knights hockey team. And the hockey team, according to Forbes, is worth $1.5 billion. And uh, he also, Chalk Hill, Banshee, Lancaster, Sebastiani. Uh, He also owns estates in Argentina and New Zealand. Uh, He also owns uh, Kenwood. Uh, So uh, here's some others. Let's see, Beringer, Bayou, Sterling, and Stag's Leap Winery. Oh, geez, all the the old ones that's been around for a long, long time. So he's, he's quite quite big in owning properties and and vineyards, not just in California, but around the world. And he's went into them and fixed them up and brought a lot of them back to the former glory. So let's hope he does it to Chateau St. Jean and gets it back and gets the name back on it because it's, in my opinion, it sort of lost some of its appeal for a while there. And uh, after the fire going through, that really did a lot of damage, a lot of devastation to it there. So look for that. Uh, Bill Foley, owner of the uh, Vegas Golden Knights uh, hockey team. And let's see. This article 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> After four harrowing years of smoke and fire, Bay Area wineries rejoice in a normal harvest this year. It was a disaster-free year, they're saying. It's this, uh, the article talks about how it has been such a great year. 2017, the fire I was just mentioning, destroyed 7,000 homes, killed 45 people. Uh, the Kincaid Fire in 2019 uh, burned down a lot of area in the Alexander Valley in eastern Sonoma. Uh, and just heat spikes during the years and all sorts of calamities, uh, the smoke taint, everything else. Um, 30 wineries were destroyed by the glass fire in 2020. Uh, just a phenomenal amount of bad stuff that has happened. And again, we were talking about weather. Uh, a lot of this they're tracing back to the warming of the areas and different patterns that we're getting in the weather although they just did have a whole bunch of snow in, uh, up in uh, Donner's Pass and Napa, or not Napa, and Tahoe. So that's going to help a little bit in the water situation out there. But 2021 harvest was normal, and that's something that they're all happy with there. They said it's just they get a chance to see something a year that, started out with crossed fingers and anticipation and before the year was out it was all come to reality it really did happen that they had a great year it was no major problems no weather issues to speak of or anything had warm days when they wanted them had cool nights when they wanted them and Napa and Sonoma had one of the better harvests in quite some time this past year. So there's a little bit of good news to pass on about what happened on the season. Uh, we're hearing so much bad things that that's good to hear that that's happening. Okay, let me go to this here. And a few quick things here. Oh, I've got plenty of time. Uh, uh, wine insurance for vineyards has went up, and a lot of places can afford it. I mentioned this before, but this is something that's uh, becoming an issue all over in the wine industry. Uh, the insurance for the vineyards. A lot of places are doing without it. That's why it's so nice to have a year without any major issues because a lot of places just dropped their insurance because they couldn't afford it. Uh, spotted lanternfly was found in Cuyahoga County, which is out in California, which is not a good thing. Uh, <laughs> spotted lanternfly is starting to make its way around everywhere. A new AVA was established, not in California like we hear so often, this one was established in Virginia. Uh, peninsula bordered on the north and south sides by rivers and a large saltwater bay to the east might not appear to be the best place to grow grapes and make wine or to become the most recent AVA, American Viticulture Area. But it is. August 27th, the TTB announced that the Virginia Peninsula AVA would join eight other AVAs that cover most of the rest of Virginia. I was talking about Virginia wineries and visiting those when things happened and I, I got away from it. I need to start calling and start talking to wineries again. Maybe that would be a project for me in 2021, start getting wineries back on the show. Uh, that's We've been getting some great guests, but it's always nice to have wineries on the show. Uh, the... Uh, there is one, two, three, four, five wineries in the new AVA. So, uh, Virginia Peninsula AVA. Uh, there are 333 total wineries across Virginia. And there are also eight existing AVAs already in Virginia. So, it's uh, 
Uh, that'll be the ninth, but uh, pretty much covers the whole state. AVAs, I mean, the growing areas in Virginia are just just about everything. So, but the newest one, Virginia Peninsula AVA. And let's see. Uh, this past year, hail wrecked havoc on vineyards in northwest Spain. Uh, they were just following up on that, saying that they're recovering, but the harvest was way, way, way down. And let's see. Uh, uh, Okay, why this one I kept for a reason because there's something I was going to read on this. And what was it that I was? Uh, direct consum to consumer shipping has been facing some setbacks over the last few months. Uh, the states have starting to play with their rules and regulations. So hopefully after the holidays to get back in session, there'll be enough people complaining and maybe something will change on some of those. So, yeah, I think that was it. That's it. If, you, if you're if you in one of those states that's looking at changing it, write your congressman, email your congressman, uh, your state congressman, email them and uh, tell them that if they start playing with the rules and everything, it's going to end up losing money and that's something that they don't want to do. Uh, okay, supply chain, California Symposium. Uh, and boy, I'm not getting all these supply chain delays. Oh yeah, we talked about supply chains. This is the, this one here. Supply chain delays is affecting glass, seriously affecting glass. It's affecting a lot of stuff, but glass, for some reason, is really being affected by supply chain delays, and it's causing wineries to look for alternatives or hold back or even sell their wine uh, to other places that might have a stockpile of it. Uh, but it's just it's, it's tough enough anyway. Getting glass. I had a bottle of wine the other day. I can't remember what it was, but the bottle was very very heavy. In fact, you know, the engineer and I both were talking about how heavy that bottle was and how expensive that thing had to be to be shipping it anywhere. But glass is becoming a problem in the supply chain, trying to get it uh, to places and trying to uh, keep it in stock. It's not happening. Okay, what is this here? Uh, here's a UC Davis specialist by the name of Anita Uberholster says that marijuana odor effect on wine grapes should be studied. She said that it is it could cause a variation in the taste of the grapes unlike smoke taint. So wow. Especially you start looking at all these growing areas and everything around well, particularly Sonoma, but also in Livermore and other places like that, Napa. Uh, first paragraph, a proposal to create a 1.5-acre outdoor marijuana farm near Livermore raised questions about crime, water use, and general odor. And the uh, uh, University of... Uh, UC California, our University of California, Davis Department of Agriculture and Enology says nobody knows how a marijuana might affect the smell and 
impact on grapes. So it's something that needs to be studied, they said, because uh, scientifically it's possible that it could impact, uh, the potential to impact the smell and taste of grapes. So no study yet. They are still in the beginning stages of arguing if it will or not, and they got to go through that stage before uh, anything really is done. Um, they're saying, Ober, uh, Oberholster said, I think cannabis and vineyards can coexist. We just need to find the perimeters for them. Uh, so it's an ongoing argument. They will argue about that for you know a couple years before they do any studies or anything. So we'll see what happens as I find out something. Then, as always, I will let you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, I guess that's what I wanted to tell you on that one. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> um, here's something I thought was funny. It says, the headline on this is, the weight of that wine bottle does not indicate quality and is hurting the planet. I've heard this before when I was, when I had the winery, people would come in and say, well, you know, the heavier the wine bottle, the better the wine. And I said, no, it has absolutely nothing to do with it. And, or the deeper the punt, the better the wine, the punt that hole in the bottom of the bottle. Uh, I was told that quite a few times, the deeper the punt, the, the better the wine. And again, no, it has absolutely no indication on it at all. I said if it did, then wineries would have a punt that would be three, four inches up into the bottle and saying, look how great this wine is. Look how deep that punt is. No, it, it has nothing to do with it. But they said that the heavier the bottle, they need to lighten up on that because it's not true. And it's, you know, don't be using heavy bottles because it really does raise SO2 emissions and it's more expensive to ship and on and on and on. So hopefully we'll see lighter bottles, except for that one. What was that one I had? Boy, that thing was heavy. Actually too heavy. Um, sustainable wine tourism is t starting to take a very big turn for the positive right now. There's a lot of wineries that do sustainable, and they're preaching and talking about how they are and, and well and as they do that obviously they're talking about how they're better than the other type of uh, just regular farming and all so but if you get a chance do a sustainable wine tour because it's interesting to hear what they say and you can bait them with different questions but they don't like that so uh, <laughs> um, let's see Jackson Family Wines has bought a Napa Valley Vineyard for one of their lines. They've been talking about it for some time. It's finally happened. Uh, Atlas Peak AVA in Napa has recovered from the fires. They were devastated with the, uh, what fire? I want to say colder, but I'm not sure, of uh, Really, uh, the uh, Atlas Peak area was really burned a lot. So they uh, are recovering well, all doing a great job of getting back and getting the buildings back and getting the vineyards replanted and all that. But small wine harvest, small wine harvest this year, small wine harvest actually around the country and around the world. The harvest was down a little bit this year over previous years. And California was down. And, and the concern with California being down is because just about everybody in the United States that has a vineyard, every vineyard in the United States has grapes from California that they use. It's so, so common that you, you wouldn't believe it if you really knew how much California grapes are used everywhere. And when the harvest is down in California, it creates a problem in the fact that not only do the prices go up, but certain places can't afford it, so therefore they cut back, and there's all sorts of repercussions from it. So 
the harvest around the world was a little low this this year, um, back in August, September, October, and we'll see how it recovers next year, as long as there's no major weather situations next year, fires or hailstorms or anything like that, then it might be able to rebound a little bit. But it has been down overall for a couple of years now because of the fires in California and because of different weather conditions around the world. But this this past year was another one where the total harvest has been down. More than four years after the initial petition, and you petition this stuff, after the initial petition was submitted uh, for a new AVA, it was approved. Uh, the new AVA in Verda Valley, Arizona, has been approved. It's a destination of geography, unique geography, topography, soils, and climate uh, is now recognized as an AVA. Uh, it's right alongside Arizona's first two AVAs, uh, Sonoita and Wilcox. So Verda Valley AVA uh, just continues to expand that area to make their wines part of an AVA. Uh, so uh, located in the geographic center Arizona, it is an area of 219 square miles in the northeastern Yafapai, uh, I think that's how it's pronounced, Yafapai County. And it is approximately 79 square miles of the AVA's privately owned land, federal and state own and take care of the rest of it. So uh, new AVA, they're popping them up all the time. They're uh, petitioning, getting them up all the time. But that's the newest Newest one. This was just approved on November 10th. Four years. Four years from the time it was submitted to the time it was approved. So this shows you the process of getting an AVA approved. It's not just a matter of, I want this to be an AVA, and they say, oh, okay, and give it to them. It goes into debate, and they look at the uniqueness of it, and give it out there to for people to review it and if anyone has any issues with it for any reason they can debate it and all sorts of stuff with ABA so congratulations uh, on the new one there in Arizona there is a new hybrid grape called the San Marco and it is really showing promise on the on the east coast it's an Italian grape, uh, uh, Italian hybrid grape, and it's found to really do an excellent job on the weather and climate of the east coast of the United States. Uh, let me see if this tells me exactly where. Um, let's see. Oh, okay, here we go. New Jersey. Um, a new... Uh, you great from the New Jersey area. They said it's just it's it's growing fantastic because of the soils and everything. The outer coastal plain AVA of New Jersey uh, toward the coast is <coughs> excuse me. Uh, the outer coastal plain the Vineyard Association says that it is a cross from a, an Italian grape and one from University of California at Davis, and it is becoming a very good grape for growing it's a dark grape and uh, it's it doesn't give any other oh the wine itself has a dense plum color aromas of earth black fruits and spices like sage and fennel flavors of cherries cranberry and chocolate company well-developed tannins which is promising for ageability so San Marco, uh, if you uh, happen to see one somewhere and drink a bottle, email me. Let me know. New Jersey is where it is now. I don't know if it will be coming outside of New Jersey or not. It seems to be the perfect climate and area, identical to where it's come from in 
Italy. So, but uh, the San Marco grape uh, seems to seems to have a lot of potential. The this I just uh, nothing to do with wine. I saw this. This is out of Beverage Dynamic magazine, and it, just want to hit on it. it says the domestic beer is declining in sales, and it's declining a lot in sales, which is really surprising. Uh, it's, I said that it's a major concern. Um, the uh, let me click this so I can read this. Uh, craft beer is really doing a big jump. And it's up twenty, almost twenty three percent, and uh, that's on premises sales, craft beer, and whereas domestic beer is up only about nine percent. Off premises craft beer is up ten percent, and domestic up only five. Um, so it's uh, the impact of domestic beer falling down on sales is impacting businesses. Uh, the declining of sales is really impacting businesses, bars and other places that are carrying different beers. It's it's impacting them. So domestic beer, though, it's just a, really not the craft beer category or import of it. The domestic beer is really hurting. Uh What's the most popular varietal beer in operations? Chardonnay. You know, on premises, more people ask for Chardonnay, 29.5%, followed by Cabernet at 13.6%, and then, <laughs> then Pinot Noir, Sauvignon Blanc, and Zimbabwe, all at 11.36%. Off-premises, Cabernet Sauvignon uh, is the big seller at 33 and a third percent. Chardonnay, 22 percent, followed by others, 14. Sauvignon Blanc, 11.11, 11, and Champagne or Sparkling Wines, 7.41 percent. So, uh, just uh, an idea of what's happening in the cells out there in that stuff. Oh, oh, I was going to going to talk to you a little bit about bubblies. And let me do that. I'm going to go past 8 o'clock, but that's okay. Uh, bubblies. It is that season, as we know. And well, let's see. This is, is this bubblies? No, this is... Cremant. Uh, this will work. I've talked about this before, Cremant wines. Uh, they're, they're bubbly wines also. They are not champagnes. They're not in the champagne region, but they uh, are the, well, the unchampagne, if you will. It is throughout France, uh, Cremant is made. It is a, a sparkling wine. Use the same wine making method as champagne, but it's outside of the area that they can call it champagne. So they can't. So in France, there are eight regions, each with their own unique style. And uh, the Cremant Alsace is a single varietal, and it, it will be labeled as such. But a lot of them are blends using a Pinot as the base, Pinot Noir. Uh, Cremant de Bourgogne, made with Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, the same as regular Champagne, and it grows right next to the Champagne region. Uh, Cremant de Lameau, most often made from Chardonnay and Chenin Blanc. Uh, it makes wine using two winemaking methods. And Cremant de Lure, fantastic and sometimes floral sparklers, falling largely on focusing largely on Chenin Blanc. Uh, so there's this is Ford Top, and 
well, there's not much more on this here. But if you're looking at getting some sparklies coming up for tomorrow night, check out the Gramont section of your local store. You don't have to spend a whole lot of money getting champagne. You can get some very nice Gramont, C-R-E-M-A-N-T, Gramont. And it's got that little mark above the E, so if you look for that on there, C-R-E-M-A-N-T. Made all over France. There's a bunch of them out there. So check that out. It's going to be cheaper, and it's going to be still very good and give you something a little bit different than spending a whole lot of money on some of the expensive champagnes. You can get by with some cheaper ones and still enjoy it. So I think I'm going to end the last show of 2021. And uh, a bunch of a bunch of stuff I'm gonna get caught up on. I probably got some. I've got some uh, stuff, more stuff to talk to you about. We, I'm working on guests for next year, uh, and I'm going to well let you know what's going on with them and how who's going to be on and when. well, here, let me read you this. The different methods of champagne, okay? Different ways to make champagne. The traditional method, the champagne method, is best known for imparting uh, autolytic aromas of bread, biscuit, and roche due to a process that involves the wine setting on dead yeast cells for a period of time. Pentolent natural, pentolent? This classic style of sparkler predates the traditional method and can run the gamut from bready and doughy to fresh and fruity to funkier. Uh, so uh, more natural flavors from that. And then the tank method, these wines don't spend any time on the lees, so they avoid those breadier aromas we've already mentioned. Instead, these wines tend to have a brighter notes of fruit and floral. So when you're picking out a champagne or a sparkling, look for these different ones. Champagne method or the tank method. Tank method is very popular around the around the new world. Uh, although a lot of them are switching over to the traditional champagne method. But excuse me. I keep getting this catch as I'm talking and calls me to call. So uh again if you're going to enjoy a sparkly for tomorrow, uh, go for it. But don't just stop for tomorrow. If you're going to buy yourself a bottle for tomorrow, pick up an extra one for later. Uh, and you can always enjoy it just about any time. So, now, I'm done. Yeah. Uh, well, absolutely. Um, yeah, there was something else I was going to mention. If you go to um, Underground Cellar uh, today or tomorrow is last day of the deal uh you want to go there and um get at least 150 dollars uh, in your shopping cart which is easy easy to do and um use the promo code at checkout all about wine and you will get 100 dollars off your first order but it does have to be 150 dollar minimum what a fantastic deal because you can get i mean i priced six bottles i think for 174 you take $100 off of that, $74? Oh, heck yeah. Right. Um, and then they upgrade you. So, uh, yeah, then you get upgraded, and that's even better. You know, yeah. what, what a great plan. Uh, interesting idea. Go, check out Underground Cellar. Uh, we had uh, Jeff Shaw on the show on uh, December 15th, a uh, great guest, and told us all about it. So, you know, review, but uh, get there. Uh, don't wait because uh, the deal is off uh, at the end of the year, which is uh, fast approaching. Uh, I don't even know what today is. Thursday? Yeah. It's Thursday. Thursday. Uh, 30th. Yeah, so today and tomorrow. Yeah. And you can always listen to our interview with him and really find out what it's all about. But uh, it's a good deal. Like Mike just said, it's, you know, you can pick out, uh, you know, get up half a case up to $170 and it's only going to cost you $70 and you can't pick and they upgrade those things that's what's so great about it they you don't yeah. get just they upgrade all that stuff so yeah. 
Good deal. Check it out, definitely. Underground seller from September 15th. Check it out, Michelle. We are going to uh, go ahead and close it for today. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, that's it for 2021. Let's hope uh, 2022 wow. is better. Uh, <laughs> for everybody. And, yeah. uh, be uh, safe. Have a prosperous and happy new year in 2022. And uh, uh, yeah, let's uh, hope, hope this one just be safe goes. out there <laughs> and uh, drink wine or champagne and don't drink and drive. And we'll see you next year. Mm-hmm. January the 6th, 7 p.m. Yep. Uh, we'll be on next show. Thanks again. Have Thank you. a good week. Be safe. Be safe. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archive shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. There we are. I think so. We'll go to the green room.